0: Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 15. Kids, head to the table. Kids' table. We're in our, our Psalm interlude. We're between uh, between series right now. Series is series. I've never understood what the plural of series is. If anybody can help me, that'd be great, but I, I've... It's just series, I think. Eh. It is today, anyway. Psalm 15. We'll spend the next three Sundays in Psalms. 15, 16, 17. And then we will begin our newest D-group reading, as Amy talked about earlier. Uh, We'll be reading along with our Connect Group curriculum, which will be Philippians, Colossians, Philemon this coming quarter. Uh, I'll explain a little bit more as we get closer. My sermons will not match exactly in Philippians because I'm going to finish up the last chapter and a half of Philippians that that I had to stop last year because of some chick named Laura. Um, So we're going to go back to that. And uh, finish that up. So what's going to happen is y'all will start in your connect groups at the beginning of Philippians. I'll start toward the end of chapter 13. And by the time we get to that last Sunday, we'll end together. Um, y'all are just going to be running faster than me, which is totally expected. I'm not a fast runner. So uh, that's what's coming up. But we're in Psalms for the next three weeks, looking at Psalm 15 this morning. And let me briefly tell you about our Lord's Supper... Uh, service, uh, Lord's Supper, and Jambalaya Fellowship on the 29th. Um, I planned that for a couple of reasons. I wanted us to do some sort of fellowship activity. By then, it is anticipated, and we all know how anticipation works in the rebuild process, it's anticipated that this will be completed, the fellowship, uh, the uh, the gym the the Activity Center, whatever it's going to be called uh, past when all this is done. So I wanted to do a fellowship for that, but I wanted to include as many people as possible, and we tend to have more people on in our Sunday morning service than we do when we have something in the evening. So we're going to do it after the service on Sunday. But it's also the fifth Sunday, so it's a good time to do our Lord's Supper, because that's generally when we do it. We do it on the fifth Sunday. So those two things coincided nicely. And I've been planning this, I don't know, month, month and a half, two months, been talking about it with the staff and it coming up. What I didn't realize until just a couple of weeks ago, because I'm a moron, is that it's two days from the anniversary of the hurricane. It's the first Sunday that we missed last year. It's the anniversary of the first Sunday. We didn't have church because of the hurricane. That Sunday last year, which would have been August 30th, we were scheduled to do the Lord's Supper because it was the fifth Sunday again, and we didn't get to do it. So, unbeknownst to me, we're actually commemorating that event uh, in church on Sunday. So, uh, as God has so often done just my entire ministry. He has taken my plan and my idea that I thought was my plan and my idea. And he said, but I've got layers of meaning here that you didn't realize was going on. And he's doing that even with this fellowship. So it'll be just a normal service in the morning. Then at, uh, whenever it's over, we will, the tables will already be set up. So y'all just gonna be sitting around tables for church uh, on that Sunday. Then we will, uh, at some in, in some order, either go and get lunch or we'll move straight into the Lord's Supper at the tables, and then we'll go eat lunch. It's going to be very New Testament, even more New Testament than when we would do the, the, um, the brunch. The, 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 we'd come in here for the Lord's Supper breakfast once a year even, because we're going to have the service, and then we're going to eat together and in the midst of eating take the Lord's Supper. So I think it's going to be a special time Again, even more special than, than I thought it would be. So that's, that's coming up in just, is that two weeks? Yeah, that's two Sundays from now. So uh, be sure you're, you're planning on being here for that. This morning we are in uh, Psalm 15. Psalm 15, title of the sermon is, Being God's Guest. Now, I had thought... That my opening illust- illustration, for my opening illustration, that I would dress as Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast and sing uh, Lumiere's song, you know, but change the words just a little bit, be God's guest. But I decided that's a horrible idea. Not gonna do that. That would not be good. Um, and you can't even talk me into it, so don't even try. No, I'm not going to do it. Y'all stop. No, I'm not going to be No, I'm not. I'm not. It's just, it's, it would be weird. But keep that in mind. Because, that, that, you know, that whole song is about everything that the flatware and the dishes and, and the try the gray stuff, it's delicious. It's all about what the, the, the kitchen is going to do for Belle, Right? Uh, it, 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 and I would have to change the entire song to make it work right because in order to be God's guest it's about what we have to do what we should be doing in our lives not how he adjusts to us but how we adjust to him so it would have been a horrible opening illustration but at least I have your attention now Psalm 15 says begins with a question Lord Who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? Basically, who can be your guest? The question is answered. The one who lives blamelessly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue. Who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor. Who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps His word, whatever the cost who does not lend his silver at interest or take a bribe against the innocent, the one who does these things will never be shaken. One uh, little bit of housekeeping. Uh, I, I know the echo in here is horrible, and it's especially bad if you have a hearing aid or are hard of hearing. I know it's just difficult to understand what I'm saying. So the last few weeks I have tried to speak more slowly and put bigger gaps between my sentences and and my words. But in doing that, I made long sermons even longer. I don't know if y'all noticed, but I'm the one that trims the sermon down, and John Bridges too, to to go online, uh, and they're just getting longer and longer. So, I'm going to have to stop speaking so slowly and speed it back up to how I normally talk, And if you need to go back and listen to it again uh, during the week online, online it sounds great, I understand. There's no echo, there's nothing like that. So if you have to go back and do that, you know, you get it twice. There's nothing wrong with that. So apologies. Hopefully uh, Hopefully by next Sunday, have I said this before? The acoustic material will be up and it will be better in here. And then by the 29th, we'll have the acoustic material and carpet and it'll be a hundred times better, but we'll hope. Uh, so, apologies for the echo, but if we don't want to be here through lunch, we got to get going. So we see a number of things in this passage. As I said, this is God saying through the psalmist what we have to, uh, how we have to adjust in order to be in God's presence. We want to be God's guest. We want to dwell with Him. We want to spend time with Him. And the psalmist is saying this is what it looks like in order to do so. The, the first verse, the, the question that is asked, it, it's, it's, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The, there are some theologians that would have said that this psalm was almost a, 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 an entry, a, a entry song to service at the temple. As they came in to gather and worship, they kind of sang this song to remind themselves of what they what they were supposed to be during the week and that 's potentially the case the The interesting thing though is and, and we 're going to talk about it a little bit more is there 's nothing ceremonial about this, meaning there 's nothing about did you touch dead people did you, uh, is you did you bathe properly there 's no cleanliness issue here this is not about being uh, ceremonially clean, but morally clean. So, more than likely, this is a, more of a catechism. Almost, it's a song that we would teach people in order to uh, bring back the idea of, oh, these are the things I'm supposed to do. Uh, we do it with the books of the Bible. That's how we teach kids the books of the Bible with the the songs and 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 just even our own worship songs. No matter the age of them, we, we internalize those things. We sing those songs throughout the week. We, we, there's a, a, an earworm phrase that gets in our head and we go over that. And that's just a way that we can internalize what Scripture says. So he asks this question, who can dwell, who can live? We need to see some things about the duration of stay here. These are words of permanence. That God is asking through the psalmist, that that the the in this case maybe the priest or just the the one who's trying to teach is is trying to get across to them. This is not something you do when you come to church. Which is another reason why this doesn't work as well for being a, a, a a worship service entry song. This is talking about life. Who can live with God? Who could spend forever with God? He's not asking who can show up on Sunday, who can clean up just right, right? Ceremonial cleanness. Who can, who can do the right things during the week, not touch a dead body, not do all these things, take the bath on the proper night, and, and then be ready to go to church the next day. Who could do that? That's not the question. Because basically, anybody could do that. Anybody can take the right bath, anybody can not do those simple ceremonial things. The, the, the psalmist here is asking deeper questions. The, 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 he's asking questions of holiness because that's the expectation. Who in the world could do these things? Who could dwell with God? Who could live with God? See, the psalms especially, throughout the, all 150 of them, but all of Scripture regularly speaks of dwelling with God. I mean, that, that we, we go all the way back to the garden and, and Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening. And we move through and we see the pillar of fire by uh, night and the pillar of smoke by day with the, 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 the children of Israel as they wandered through the, the wilderness. We, we continue to move forward and we see the, the, the glory in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. We see God with the prophets. We see Jesus who is God in the flesh. We have the Holy Spirit now and we beg Him to do something great in our service, but He lives with us continually. God wants to dwell with us. God wants us to dwell with Him. It is a Permanent thing. This is not asking what can I do to be okay for the hour on Sunday morning that I have to go to church. But what do I need to do in my life to experience God regularly? And then verses two through five, the psalmist gets into the requirements of admission. We've got the duration of stay; it's permanent, it's forever. Now, what are the requirements? For admission. Well, these are not exhaustive by any means. This is not everything you have to do. It, really, it doesn't even cover what we would say is all the themes or all the topics. It's not intended to be exhaustive. Psalm 24 talks about other responsibilities. Isaiah 33, Matthew 5, 1 Corinthians 13. These are all passages that you can go to and see, all right, what else do I have to do? That's not the the point necessarily. There's a theme though through these passages that is pointed primarily to integrity. That's the idea. It is a person of integrity that is able to dwell in god's tent or live on his holy mountain integrity maybe there was an issue that somebody felt like i got to write a song about that the lord's telling me this is an issue we need to ha- uh, have a discussion about as a matter of fact it'd be even better if we could have a song about it uh, you want to hear it here it goes uh, it's a psalm 15 and you have to have integrity to spend time with god What does integrity look like? Well, the the English definition for us, definitions are adherence to moral and ethical principles, soundness of moral character, honesty. Uh, Another definition is the state of being whole, entire, or undiminished. Our third definition, a sound, unimpaired, or perfect Condition. These are all definitions and they're all facets of integrity that this psalm will talk about. Now if we read the psalm and we, we, we look at all those things and, and we understand what integrity is and we even see definitions like a sound, unimpaired, or perfect condition, we can begin to think, well, the, the answer of who can is nobody Because none of us can get all these things right. And you are correct. You can't. You won't. This psalm, just like every other passage in the Old Testament, points forward to the one who can and who will vicariously on our behalf do it for us. But we start here. We start with what we are supposed to be. Perfection isn't required. Perfection isn't expected. Let me put it that way. Probably better than required. But persistence toward perfection is required, is expected. Again, notice that as we read the passage, the complete lack of ceremonial laws or anything that had to do with outward appearance. Anybody can make themselves look good. They can show up on Sunday morning, they can do a couple of little things to look like they're serving, they can even show up at other times. But when they are out and about doing things like, as the passage says... Uh, verse 3, slandering with their tongue, harming their friends and discrediting their neighbors, it doesn't matter what the outward appearance would look like, what is true about that person is what is on the inside. And that will always flow to what's on the outside. So God is saying, be persistent in your pursuit of these things. As you examine yourself, weigh them against this standard I don't look at you to see how I'm supposed to act you don't look at me to see how you're supposed to act the best any of us could say would be something like what Paul said and I don't even put myself there but follow me as I follow Jesus if I'm following Jesus Jesus is our standard. Scripture is our standard. So as we read these requirements for admission, this is our standard. And Part of that throne of grace is when we acknowledge that we can't meet the standard. And that's where we get to the point where we realize we need Jesus. We need the One who can meet the standard. So, what are the... uh, the, the requirements what are the standards? Uh, a theologian by the name of Kidner, I believe broke this down wonderfully for us, and uh, I like the way he put it. He broke it down into uh, five yours. The first one is your character true your character true. It, it, the first rule for admission, the first requirement for admission is to have true character we see it in verse 2 the man who lives blamelessly practices righteousness and acknowledge the truth acknowledges the truth in his heart lives blamely first means wholly apart from evil this is a separation of yourself from evil it's not just that you don't commit evil but that you don't live among evil now we live among the world right there's evil all around us we get it there's evil in our own hearts we we war daily with what the, the Holy Spirit in us and the flesh in us. So we, we can never truly separate ourselves from evil, but we should not be running after it. We should not be dwelling in the tent of evil, if I can use the first verse here a little differently. We should not be living on the unholy mountain of evil. We should live apart from it blamelessly the one who practices righteousness these are all answering the question right who can dwell in God's tent who can dwell on who can live on God's holy mountain the one who practices righteousness this is as opposed to your feelings or desires this is rightness this is doing what's right even when it doesn't feel good even when you don't like it Even when it means forgiving the person you don't want to forgive. Even when it means loving the person who is hard to love. Even when it means forgiving the person that neither deserves forgiveness in your eyes, and by the way, none of us deserve forgiveness, or asks for forgiveness. The one who continually does things against you. We practice righteousness as opposed to our feelings or desires. And thirdly, he says in verse 2, acknowledges the truth in his heart. This is not just the things that are correct. It doesn't mean that you acknowledge that 2 plus 2 is 4. Okay? Good for you. That ain't getting close to holiness. Just because you know math works. Alright? This is not just correct, but these are, is acknowledging, this is acknowledging what is sure and trustworthy. When you acknowledge truth, you acknowledge that Scripture is our standard, not man. You acknowledge that Scripture is our standard, not your feelings or desires. You acknowledge that God has the last say on things, not us. As I said earlier, with, with your, when your character is true, the inner matches the outer. The outside, the things you do, it reflects what is inside. It's it's just in, in in computers, we say they say, like I'm a computer guy. They say garbage in, garbage out. Whatever goes in is going to come out. The the Bible says that out of the mouth flows the overflowing of the heart. I mean, whatever is in there is what you're going to do. You may try to hide it for a while, but People are going to see past that veneer very, very quickly. The second requirement is your words restrained. Verse 3, who does not slander with his tongue? Who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor? These are commands that are all related to words in verse 3. Slander, the word there in the Old Testament is literally go about on his tongue. It's this idea of letting your mouth lead you. Um, We have a a, a saying, well, I don't know who has the sayings because we're from Mississippi originally, so a lot of times we're the only ones with the sayings. There is a saying, uh, you let your lion mouth overload your skeeter rear end. Y'all ever know? Okay. Well, that, that would, seriously? You never heard me say it. Yeah. Come on, y'all. Nobody in here has ever heard you let your lion mouth overload your skeeter rear end. Well, okay. That, it's, it, it's a saying, whether you believe it or not. But that's the idea. You, you, you've got a lion mouth letting your mouth write a check that your rear end can't cash. Okay, I got some nods. Alright, same thing. Lion mouth, skeeter rear end. Yeah, same. Okay, good. You're with me then. That's the idea. It's letting your mouth lead. Letting your tongue be the one that guides you. What does James say about the tongue? It's like the rudder of a ship. Huge ship, little bitty rudder, and it can control the direction of the whole thing. Huge body, some of us huger than others. Little bitty tongue, and it is the one that sets our direction. It is the one that is probably the most negatively or positively controlled by the overflow of the heart. uh, So slander means to go about on his tongue. It, it, It actually also carries the idea here of spying to lie. Spying to lie. That's the, looking for opportunities to lie about somebody. Wanting to pull something they said out of context, five words out of 50 and say, they said this. I've told you how that's been used uh, before from, from my sermons to say things I said the exact opposite of in my sermon. But if you pull those five, ten words out of context, you get to say all sorts of things. Spying to lie. And this, this idea of friend here, who, who does not harm his friend, this in the Old Testament especially, it's, it's a parallel to, to neighbor. And Jesus answers that right about who's your neighbor, everybody. That's the idea of friend here. Friend and, and neighbor here are general terms for anyone. So it's not just slandering your, your, your good friends or your enemies. or It's, it's all of them. Now he goes on, who does not slander with his tongue, doesn't harm his friend, discredit his neighbor. Harming his friend would be sharing words that cause harm. We would call that gossip. Would be another word for that. That's one way that we can get out of uh, the idea, well, it's not gossip because it's true. Yeah, but if you did it to cause harm, or if it does cause harm, it's gossip. Making accusations, this would be discrediting his neighbor, making accusations based on slander and gossip. I heard this and somebody said that, so that means you're this. No, that means you heard that and somebody said this, but that doesn't mean those two things are true. It doesn't mean that the one going about on his tongue and spying to lie said things that were accurate, and now you are coming with accusations based on this information and that's not someone who dwells in God's tent or lives on His holy mountain. The third requirement is your allegiance obvious. Verse 4, who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord. And we're going to stop there, though just the first two parts of verse 4. It would be like 4A and B if I if had done that on the screen. Who despises the one rejected by the Lord and honors those who fear the Lord. Let's get out of the way automatically that this is not Pharisaism. This is not you saying, well, thank you Lord that I am not like this tax collector next to me. It, it's not that sort of despising the one rejected by the Lord. Uh, it's Another, literally, it's translated in his eyes. The rejected is despised. This is not Pharisaism. It is loyalty. It is loyalty what God, to what God has said. It is loyalty to Scripture first and foremost. So that when someone else is is countermanding Scripture, is going against Scripture, we are loyal to Scripture. And we reject what they are doing. We, we despise that because it is rejected by God. And we focus on what we are supposed to be doing. Th- this is not, the, the like I said, this is not the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple praying. This is not a comparison. This is not me saying, I'm glad I'm not like him. I, this is not me saying, I'm glad I am not rejected by the Lord. It is a stand to say, I will stand where the Lord has said to stand but instead honors those who fear the Lord. This is a negative attitude toward sin and a positive attitude toward holiness. This is our stand. It's like what Martin Luther said about uh, whether, I believe I'm getting my, my church history right, when it came down to whether uh, the cracker in the Lord's Supper actually turns into the body of Jesus or not. And Martin Luther said, uh, I, I believe he said, and I may be mixing up my stories now, uh, he said it does, and some others said it doesn't, and, and he said, here I stand, I can do no other. may not have been on that debate. Hold on, let me, don't quote me on that one, because it may have been the discussion of salvation by faith. Uh, when they were having that argument. And he said, here I stand, I can do no other. But regardless of why he said that, he said it, and that needs to be our response to God's word. Here I stand, I can do no other. I'm, I'm not comparing myself to you, though, I mean, naturally the comparison is there. God will make the comparison someday. As a matter of fact, God has already made the comparison. But I look at, you and what you're doing, and 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 I look at Scripture, and that does not line up to this. So therefore, I will take a stand here. I will react and respond negatively towards sin, but positively toward the holiness that I'm called to, so that I may dwell in God's tent and live on His holy mountain. Number four. Is that where we are? Three. Four, your dealings honorable. Your dealings honorable. Now we've gone from internal tegr- integrity, though slander and gossip and those sorts of things are, are more external. We're moving from deeply internal in verse 2 to more uh, uh, a, a close relationship, verse 3, external Uh, Further out relationship in verse 4a and b, and then even further out in our dealings in verses 4c through 5a and b, the first two parts of five. Honorable dealings. How are you doing things in, in business? Whether you own a business or not, you're in business. You do business. You deal with people. And how do you deal with those people? It must be honorable. He says, who keeps his word whatever the cost, who does not lend his silver at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. Now, some of this you're thinking, I don't, I don't loan money and, and, and I don't have a position where I can be bribed. Well, hold on. There's a standard here even if we aren't involved in the exact uh, situation first of all keeping a promise uh, the first one honors uh, keeps his word whatever the cost this would be keeping a promise possibly just simply you said you're gonna do it so do it even if it doesn't work out well even if circumstances change now in fact there are places in scripture where it says when circumstances change when there's a a, a change in outcome a change in um uh, in, in the terms, for example, and then you, you may be able to get out of the promise. But this isn't talking about those sorts of circumstances that lead us away from whatever's happening. This is the, the circumstance where everything along the way has been met, and you just go, turns out it's going to cost me too much. No cost me too much financially, cost me too much uh, reputation, whatever it might be. Nope, I'm not going to keep that promise. I mean, if we go back even to uh, what Amy shared with us back uh, the first Sunday uh, on August 1st when she she shared the commitment that uh, I and the church made to each other uh, on my first Sunday here. And, and when you asked questions, and I mean, we, we, it was like a wedding ceremony, uh, and, and made vows. How many people have reneged on those vows because it cost too much in the end? They had to give up too much, they had to change too much, they didn't get what they wanted, preferences and desires weren't met. So it could be as simple as just keeping a promise, but there's also this hint here. Of uh, having taken an oath to avoid wrongdoing, like I, I sort of like the the Nazarite oath, where you know they're not gonna uh, cut their hair and not gonna drink wine and those sorts of things, and I, I'm gonna live a certain way. I'm gonna take an oath to do it. Except we're we're not even talking about that extreme. We're just saying I uh, commit. I promise. Uh, what is it Job said in chapter something or other? I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look on young, uh, lust after a young woman or something like that. Young women. That's an oath. I've made a covenant. I've made a promise. An oath, uh, a promise not to do things that are wrong. I keep my word even when it's hard. And if, if that's the case, if it's the second definition, if it's an oath to avoid wrongdoing, then kind of it would actually go up with this previous section we just talked about uh, an obvious allegiance. I'm going to make an oath to not join myself with uh, those who sin. I will despise what is rejected by the Lord, and I will honor those who fear the Lord. So this. Kind of as a transition verse, or a transition uh, sentence there. Who despises, uh, or rather, who keeps his word, whatever the cost. Verse 5, who does not lend his silver and in interest. See, I'm, a, I'm not a banker, so I'm, I'm good with this. Well, you might not be. Uh, interest, uh, that, that word actually means with a bite. Uh, that, isn't that what the mortgage companies do to us? Uh, and, and, and when you loan get a loan for a car, oh, you can have the money, but it's going to bite. I and mean, they don't put it that way because I think we'd be less likely to, to do it. Um, yet, we, we get a mortgage, and the beginning of more, more, M-O-R-T, that root is death. That's what that word means. You're signing up till you die, basically, is what a mortgage is. So, we're willing to do things, right? The, the, the interest with a bite, this is not talking about commercial loans. Yes, it makes sense, and, and the Bible talks about doing those things honestly. But what it is specifically talking about is not loaning or giving aid to others with interest, expecting something back, or even worse, gaining from someone else's loss. Now it tends to hit a little more closely to home. Oh, we'll help them, but I've got to get something back. Well, that's not a help. That's, that's business. That's loaning at interest. Well, as long as they return it somehow, some way, no, that's, that's still not aid. That, that is putting strings on your mercy. Does God have strings on His mercy? Believer, I'm asking you, does God have strings on His mercy? If He did, you'd be out of it by now. So would I. We'd be done. There'd be no more. We'd have used up all the mercy if it had strings. And he's, that's what he's saying. Don't put strings on your mercy. Don't loan your silver at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. Have incoercible judgment. I will make a decision. I will, and this goes back up to the, uh, the earlier part where you uh, don't discredit your neighbor, you don't harm a friend, you don't slander with your tongue, you, you do despise what is rejected by the Lord, you honor those who fear the Lord, your judgment is incoercible. You can reject what God has rejected because that person or those people or whatever has no influence over you through some sort of bribery. Isn't that what sin does to us all the time? Doesn't sin just bribe us? You know, if you, if you commit me, you'll get this, this, and this out of it. And what do you get? They never tell you about the shame, the misery, the heartache, the, the broken relationships, broken families, whatever comes from that sin. It, it, sin never tells you about that. It bribes you. It says, oh, this will be great. And it coerces our judgment and makes us do things that we should not be doing. Now, on its surface, this this passage clearly has in mind though that that senior community uh, senior senior community member who is seated at the gate. Remember, Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. He he had a position of influence. At the gate, it was where uh, uh, judges and 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 senior officials and the elders of the community met to make decisions and hear court cases and that sort of thing. So it's primarily, or at the the picture it's painting is the one who sits at that gate can't be bribed, judgment cannot be bought. But this is those of us. Th- this is for those of us. Or, or rather those this is for us to hear that we shouldn't take personal gain or seek personal gain from siding against someone else because it, invariably bribery requires you to go against the innocent and stand with the guilty I mean, has has anyone ever been bribed to stand with the innocent Maybe. I mean, that just, that is, that's not usually the way it works. If they're innocent, they generally don't have to bribe someone to stand with them. So this would, again, throw us back. It kind of wraps up the whole passage here where it throws us back up to the top to, to see uh, we stand against those who slander and gossip and discredit his neighbor and harm his friend. we... We despise those rejected by the Lord. We, we honor those who fear the Lord. We keep our word, whatever the cost. We, we don't put strings on our mercy all because we go back even to verse 2. We live blamelessly. We practice righteousness and we acknowledge what is right in our hearts. If we do that, if we do those things, Verse 5 tells us that your place assured. Your place assured. Now, this is not works salvation. Even for the Old Testament reader, the Old Testament worshiper in the temple who would have sung this song on Saturday morning at temple, This was not works-based, this was a response to what God had done in them already. How God had led them and nurtured them, and them leaning on His grace and and falling on His mercy, and they were doing it through the power of the God that they worshipped. They didn't earn this place, but it did assure their place, it showed them This is who I am. This is where I am heading. These are qualities that God creates, not you. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us to manufacture, even the Old Testament, manufacture blameless living and righteous practicing and truth acknowledgement. Scripture doesn't tell us to bring that up on our own. We get that from the God we worship. It's, it's evidenced by Him. They, the scripture speaks of, his, uh, uh, of uh, this from Him over and over. The, the prophets and the, the law, and it all speaks to God's holiness. God's holiness. So we seek to uh, mimic that. We seek to follow that. But we only do it by God's power. The Old Testament knew they didn't do anything on their own either. They didn't come out of Egypt by their own strength. When, when they got cocky about it, God would ask them, did, did you do that? Did you part the water? Did you bring it back over? Did, was it your locusts? Was it your frogs? Was it, was it your manna? Was it your quail? Tell me about all the miracles you did, folks. It was him did you manifest holiness in the group or 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 did I did 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 you understand what it was to be loving or did I teach it to you God creates these qualities and and this is not a passage of salvation This is a passage of relationship. Now, salvation is relationship, right? And salvation is an eternal relationship. But even a believer can distance himself from God. Not that you can get anywhere away from Him, but you can certainly uh, uh, turn your back on that. You can put some distance. and He never leaves you. But you, well, you just quit focusing on Him quit communicating with Him. This sort of life that the the psalmist talks about is a life that is guaranteed continued relationship with God. The one who does these things will never be shaken, will not be moved. If you do these things, you will not be moved from the Lord. Why? Because most of the sins will be covered in this. I, I, most of the sins we commit, all the sins we commit are selfish. And, and most of these are against selfishness and for selflessness. So it's, it's not just, but it's not just that you won't be moved in your relationship, but you will not be shaken from any attacks outside. The one who does thing, these things will never be shaken. That, that implies some sort of attack, some sort of outside force doing the shaking. Those things that come against you will not have any effect on you because, well, you're, you're dwelling with God in His tent. You're living on His holy mountain. No movement by the attacks from the world, in part because of your integrity. When the world attacks, when people gossip and slander and go about on their tongue and all these other things, when they accuse you of, of lending at interest and all these other things, when, when that happens, they, they will have no leg to stand on because of your integrity. Uh, is it First uh, Peter, Second Peter, that says live your life so that when they attack you they, they have nothing negative to say about you? Well, you're... Too nice. You give away too much. You, you know, that's what that's what this is. You're not shaken from those attacks, in part, because of your integrity, but primarily, you aren't shaken by those attacks because you are with God. What's safer, inside the fort or outside the fort? Say inside. Thank you, Some bu- Thank Don, thank you, appreciate that. Inside the fort, inside God's house is safer than outside God's house. So when the world attacks, when anything attacks, you're safer there. And that is what salvation through Jesus provides for us. Safety when the world's attack, world attacks. Eternal safety when judgment attacks. But right now, safety when the world attacks. And we, as I said earlier, because of Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, because of what He did for us, we, he, he vicariously defeats these things because He was perfect, and now we and Christ are one by our belief. We get to experience the benefits of that perfection. I'm not perfect. But when God looks on me, He sees the blood of Jesus. And not my sinfulness. Well, he knows my sin. That's not an issue. But I am not labeled by my sin. I'm labeled by the blood of Jesus. Because I persist. Because you persist in being holy. And because Jesus was holy for you. We get to live in, on God's holy mountain And we get to dwell in his tent. But we only get to do that because of Jesus Christ. Because we have experienced salvation through him. And that looks like admitting that we're a sinner. (laughs) Admitting that what this says don't do, we do. And what this says to do, we don't do. We're we're a sinner. God says do it, we don't. God says don't do it, we do. That's who we are, that is our nature as humans. But we've got to admit that and know that, yes, I slander, I gossip, I lie, I lend it interest, I despise those who fear the Lord, and I honor those who reject the Lord. I, I do all of these things, but I don't want to be that anymore. I believe that, the, the, that Jesus' death on the cross in my place and for me is enough to save me. I, 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 I want to be like this, but I can't be like this. And this is the other part of the Old Testament. Not only does it tell us what we need to strive for, it tells us, honestly, what we can never succeed in doing. It tells us we need Jesus. It told the people then, y'all need a Savior. Y'all need Jesus. We love that on a t-shirt well, we need to turn the t-shirt inside out so that we read it while we're wearing it instead of other people. He needs to say, I need Jesus. if you believe that, believe in Jesus, He is who He says He is, and you choose to make Him your Savior, you follow Him, you repent of your sins, you give your life to Him, you will be saved. You will dwell with God, and you will not be shaken. By this world that will come against you. And even by the sin that will so easily seek to ensnare you and entangle you. You need Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that the salvation that we have as believers is a continual source of relationship with you God we don't need to redo to undo to 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 rededicate to to re enlist to, to uh, rebuild uh, nothing because our foundation is sure our house is unshakable in Christ God I I have to Go through this list and correct what I'm doing wrong and rejoice over what I'm doing right. And then the next day, those two things probably flip. As we all do as believers, but your grace and your mercy run deep. And so we persist in our sanctification, seeking to be more like you every day. But God, I pray for the unbeliever who hears this message, who, who looks at this list and says, there's just no way. I, I can't do those things. And, and that is a wonderful place to be, that place of recognition of our inability to save ourselves. Because unbeliever, you are right. You can't. But Jesus can. We all need Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of those who are mourning this morning their inability to be like you. The believer who struggles, Lord, give him or her strength. Let them just bathe in that grace and mercy this morning. For the unbeliever who's tired of fighting, who's tired of trying and failing with no hope, no end in sight. Lord, I pray this morning that they would accept Christ as their Savior and that they would then know the joy of eternal, starting today, eternal dwelling in your tent and t- eternal living on your holy mountain. Because the blood of Jesus will have covered them by their faith, and their belief, And they're choosing to follow him. I pray that you would move in our hearts today, Lord. Thank you. That you spread the table, you open the doors, you turn on the AC, and you say, be my guest to us. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as your decision today to... Put aside some things to follow Him, to realize, you know what, I'm, I'm not, not on that holy hill the way I should be sometimes. Is your decision as an unbeliever to follow Jesus Christ in salvation? Tom's going to be at the back at our Welcome Center if you'd like to pray with him, uh, have him pray with you, for you about something. If you'd like more information about how to be, uh, say, uh, be a Christian, He'd love to talk to you about that. If you'd like to join our church and, and, and get some information about that, he, some deacons, will also be at the back door back here. Any one of them can talk to you about that. Maybe you just want to pray as we sing. Now's your time to do it. Spend a little time, not just for the rest of these few moments, in the tent of God on his holy hill, but instead make today an eternal relationship. Believer, get back to the relationship, your first love that you need to be in. Let's stand, let's sing, worship this morning as we hear from him today.